electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. This is Squawk Pod. I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on our podcast, three companies with three different coronavirus stories. Biotech Moderna Therapeutics is developing a COVID vaccine. The CEO lays out his expected timeline. The earliest we could have an approved vaccine, we believe, is in 2021. Zoom, we're all doing it. The company's chief financial officer on how the Zoom boom has changed communication. I don't see everybody going back to the way that it was before. And Activision's Bobby Kotick, the video game CEO behind Call of Duty and Candy Crush, is balancing his stay-at-home workforce with his stay-at-home audience. I'd say the only three networks that have more players or users would be Facebook, YouTube, and WeChat. So it's a big audience to begin with. It's Tuesday, April 14th, 2020. Squawk Pod begins right now. Good morning. I'm Becky Quick, along with Joe Curtin and Andrew Ross Sorkin. First up on today's podcast, the race for a COVID vaccine. Biotechnology company Moderna is focused on developing vaccines and therapeutics leveraging part of the human genetic sequence in messenger RNA, or mRNA. That's also the company's stock ticker. Clever. Today, Moderna is hosting its first Vaccines Day, a virtual investors meeting which includes presentations on mRNA vaccines and some positive data from phase one of Moderna's experimental Zika vaccine. Those promising results are, like I said, for Zika. But they're a good sign for the COVID-19 vaccine that Moderna is also developing. Of the nine vaccines Moderna is currently working on, seven, including the one for Zika, have yielded positive preliminary results. As you'll hear, the CEO of Moderna, Stefan Bansell, believes a similarly successful coronavirus vaccine is on the horizon. In this conversation, you'll also hear Meg Terrell. She's our senior health and science reporter. Here's Becky kicking off the interview with Moderna CEO. Stefan, welcome. It's great to have you here. I was thinking back, I think it was January, uh, that last week in January when I ran into you in Davos, and you were already at that point very actively working on a vaccine for COVID-19. This was just about two weeks after the Chinese authorities had passed out uh, the uh, genetic, the genetic uh, sequence of COVID-19. Can you tell us what kind of progress you've made since then? Yes, good morning, Becky, and thank you for having me back. So uh, we've started a clinical trial on March 16 in the U.S. Uh, under the leadership of Dr. Tony Fauci at the NIH. 45 healthy subjects. We have already dosed the 25 microgram, 100 microgram, and we are now dosing the highest dose, the 250 microgram. Things are going well so far, so we look forward to the data. You know, your vaccine state today, you're also highlighting some data from other uh, vaccines in your pipeline, including one for Zika. Tell us, um, you know, what can be uh, determined about how well the COVID-19 vaccine may work based on the results you're seeing uh, in other trials that might be more advanced? Yes, good morning, Meg. It's a, it's a great question. So as you know, with Moderna, we have a platform based on messenger RNA technology. And so we basically use the same chemistry to make our messenger RNA molecules, and we use the same chemistry for the delivery of our message when you inject intramuscular. And so the, the read across, I think, comes in many dimensions. One is safety. As you know, with vaccine, safety is priority number one. 
because we give vaccine to healthy subjects. And so we believe that the safety profile should be pretty similar to what we have seen so far across the platform. We have those more than a thousand humans across the world. And so we are optimistic about the safety of uh, the vaccine for COVID-19 mRNA-1273. On the efficacy side of things, the key question, of course, as always, is do you make antibodies and are the antibodies neutralizing? We had the chance to have worked on MERS, the Middle East Respiratory Syndrome, with the NIH, with Dr. Stanislaw's team over the last you know, 18 months, 24 months. And we had good animal data in that setup. So when you look at the totality of the data, I would say we're cautiously optimistic. It's a biology, so we have to look at the data. But we're cautiously optimistic. Right. And of course, this is a, a brand new technology that uh, there are no vaccines based on mRNA yet, no drugs based on mRNA that have reached the market. And this is a brand new virus, too. And you're moving just at lightning speed in terms of these trials for COVID-19. Tell us, you're thinking about potentially having a vaccine ready for high-risk groups like healthcare workers in the fall. How much data, how long do you need to be able to make sure that this really is safe and in how many people? How long does that take to be able to figure out? Yes, that's a great question. That's a, a dialogue that we're going to have, of course, with the regulators like the FDA. Um, so our plan, if you want, is not to wait for the phase one full data set to start a phase two, which is what you would typically do. Our goal is as soon as we have a safety data of a phase one, which is 45 subjects, is to move right away into the phase two, which will be several hundred subjects. Uh, and then once we're going to have the immunogenicity data from the phase one study in uh, early summer, our goal will be to kind of pick up the dose for potentially starting a phase three uh, as early as late summer, early fall. And so what we're trying to do is to get as big a database as we can to understand the safety and the immunogenicity of the study. We're also potentially going to do some additional studies outside the U.S. just to be able to expand in parallel the safety database that we have on the vaccine. Stefan, what is uh, the next thing that we should be watching? How quickly do you think a vaccine can actually be developed that would be mass produced? I think that's the big question as we start to wonder when we can reopen society after this uh, lockdown because of coronavirus. Yes, that's a question that everybody has, Becky. So I think, again, with vaccine, safety is priority number one. Given you're going to give those vaccines to people that are not sick, you want to make sure, of course, you hurt nobody. And so... As we've said in the past, and again, Dr. Tony Farshis has said the same thing with the vaccine we are partnering on with the NIH, is that uh, the earliest we could have an approved vaccine, we believe, is in 2021. Uh, what we are working with the authorities is to understand what can be done potentially later this year, uh, assuming the, vac the, the virus might come back in the fall to be able to, to protect population at risk. And this is a dialogue that we're going to have to have with the a proper U.S. government agencies like the FDA, the CDC, the NIH, and so on. We, we had Bill Gates with us last week, and he brought up the idea that a vaccine is particularly tricky when it comes to this coronavirus because it, it has a great impact on older people. And he said, in general, vaccines are less effective on older people. They tend to be uh, things that are in smaller doses, and the real uh, herd immunity comes because you have so many younger people who are taking the vaccinations. He, he said that one thing that's tricky in this vaccination will be getting the dose high enough so that it is effective for the older people who are most affected and most impacted. 
uh, by coronavirus while at the same time making sure that it's not lethal for younger people who are taking it, particularly uh, infants, maybe pregnant mothers. How, how have you been going about trying to tackle that problem? Yes, yeah, so we have a similar view, and this is because as people age, your immune system just gets weaker. And so if you look at our phase one study, which is in healthy adults, not in the elderly yet, it goes up to 250 micrograms per human. With this technology, in our cancer vaccine setting, we have used doses up to one milligram, so four times higher dose than what we're currently trying in Seattle. And so we believe we have a lot of room to maneuver. Uh, it could not be impossible that you potentially use a different dose between healthy adults and healthy elderly, if need be, to have a higher dose in the elderly. And also you might have more frequent boosts. Again, because the immune system wanes over time as you age, you could see a world where an healthy adult might need a boost every few years, every 10 years. We don't know yet. It's too new of a virus to know for sure. But maybe you need an annual boost for the elderly. So this we'll have to explore and understand as we learn more about the virus and as we learn more in the vaccine with clinical data. All right, Stefan, thank you very much for joining us and for the update. Uh, we hope you come back again soon. Meg, thank you. We appreciate you for bringing the interview, too. Next on Squawk Pod, Zoom CFO Kelly Steckelberg joins us via, well, Zoom. We are really focused on ensuring that everybody and anybody who needs Zoom, who has a use for it today, can get access to it. We'll be right back. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM a leading global asset manager. This is Squawk Pod from CNBC. Do you Zoom? I bet you do. While we're all working from home and safer at home, the number of people using the video conferencing app has skyrocketed during the coronavirus pandemic from 10 million users at the end of December to 200 million at the end of March. And it's being used for a lot more than just business meetings between conference rooms. Events from virtual birthdays to weddings and workouts are now being held on Zoom. I know I've done quite a few yoga classes over Zoom recently, as well as a family conference on Easter. But the increased usage has also brought with it a host of new privacy and security concerns. Zoom bombing is when a malicious user gains access to a conference and harasses participants. And it led the company to increase security features such as additional passwords and host-regulated waiting rooms before a conference can begin. And safe to say, the company, which built its technology for offices, never expected to be in daily use for America's schoolchildren. We talked about all of that today with Zoom CFO Kelly Steckelberg. Here's Andrew Ross Sorkin kicking things off. Kelly, nice to see you. I believe you're coming to us on Zoom. Good morning. Yes, I am. I'm in my sister's studio here in Sherman Oaks, California. So let's just talk about what's happened here, because this this is or at least started as a enterprise based business that's now become very much a consumer-oriented business. My kids upstairs, by the way, are using it for school today as well. How has it changed your outlook for the whole company? So that's exactly right. First of all, regarding your children using it, we are 
proud that we've been able to enable over 90,000 schools in over 25 countries around the globe to use Zoom. And that, along with many other use cases that we didn't contemplate before this, such as you know, grandmothers using Zoom to read to their children, read bedtime stories to their children across the country, as well as small businesses using it now to you know, do tutoring or give yoga lessons. It has really transformed what used to be a business and a platform that was primarily used for enterprises to be used for all kinds of now consumer and small business use cases. And as you mentioned, that has caused a 20 times increase in our daily participants from just December through March. So yes, with that has come new opportunities and challenges as well, including opportunities to educate and enable our users in a very different way than we needed to before. So the, the big question I'd ask is, you've, you clearly had to scale up, by the way, on the hardware end to, to keep up with all of this, this usage. Uh, I assume that's, there's cost involved in that. Is the expectation that two, three, four, five months from now, hopefully when my kids actually can go to school in person and we're all back at some semblance of work, that usage comes down? How does that change the dynamic for you and thinking about and thinking about how to start charging people, so many of whom are now using your service for free? Yeah, so coming into this pandemic and seeing the increase in demand, we have been very focused on ensuring that the platform is stable and reliable and available for everybody who needs it. When we had our earnings call on March 4th, we did talk about this, that we already had started to see the rise in demand. And while I'm not confirming guidance today, we did indicate then that we expected to see an increase in our cost, our cost of goods sold, that would have an impact on our gross margins. And um, that is consistent with what we've continued to see. In, in terms of what does this mean going forwards and are we trying to convert some of these users as we, we have a freemium version of our product that many of these new users are using today. And we are really focused on ensuring that everybody and anybody who needs Zoom, who has a use for it today, can get access to it. We really want to focus on minimizing the disruption in communication during this difficult time for everyone. And it's too early to tell what comes next. You know, ideally, as you said, back in in a few months, we're all back to a more normal state. I don't see everybody going back to the way that it was before. I don't think that all everybody that's working from home today is going to go back to their office necessarily or that these small business owners are going to stop using it in the way that they've had. So we'll just see what that brings. It's really too early to tell today. Right. Tell us about the progress on the security front. A number of companies, including Google, which, of course, has a competitor competing service with yours, but others, including some in government, have said, you know what, guys, don't use Zoom right now. We don't feel comfortable with the security. There's this idea of, of Zoom bombing, people jumping into these public, uh, these public webinar, webinars and things and, 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 and doing crazy things on the video. Um, how, how much progress are you making on that? And what kind of big changes uh, may we be seeing on, on that front? Yeah, so some of these, these challenges that we've seen are due to the fact that Zoom was historically really an enterprise application. And we were selling to organizations that had IT teams to help enable and train their users on their security settings and how they should be using the platform. As we've seen this massive increase in consumers and individual users, we, we have needed to do a better job of providing them the information that they need as to how to keep their meetings secure, how to keep their meetings private. 
So there's a couple of things we're doing. First of all, what I want to say is Zoom is absolutely safe for everyone to use for their meetings. And we have a 90-day plan to ensure that everybody understands just how secure it is. A couple of things that we've done. We have started now changing the default security settings for new users as they come into the platform. So they have things like password protection on their meetings, as well as meeting rooms enabled. We also have entered a 90-day phase where we are freezing any new features on our platform to enable us to really focus on ensuring that the existing features and platform is as secure as it can be. We are have formed already a CISO council of some of the most highly regarded companies in the world that are giving us their perspective on how we can ensure that our platform is appropriate for them to use in their organizations. And Eric, our CEO and founder, also has now a weekly webinar every Wednesday that is called Ask Eric Anything, so that every user has the opportunity to ask Eric questions or give us right. feedback about what they would like to see in the platform going forward. Uh, Kelly, got a question for you. This uh, it was a churn on what Bill Gurley had a tweet out, the big investor, over the weekend. He says, we talk a lot in Silicon Valley about first mover advantage. But Zoom was hardly a first mover. The biggest and brightest companies have coveted this space for years and invested against it. Cisco, Microsoft, Google, Facebook. But Zoom was the one that broke out. You previously worked at Cisco. So I'm curious what you think. And I remember Cisco telepresence and the conversations we'd have a decade ago about that uh, with John Chambers and everybody else. Why do you think this worked this time? I think that Eric really had a vision about having a video first communications and believe we all believe that video is the future of communications. And this pandemic has just been an accelerant of having people get exposed to it in a very different way. So everything about our platform was built from the ground up to focus on video first. And I think the ease of use, the reliability, and the focus on delivering happiness to our customers has really what has made Zoom stand out. It is, it is such a great, simple platform to connect people around the globe that it, it sounds simple, and yet it really was differentiated. It is differentiated from the other competitive products out there. Okay, Kelly, before you go, I do have to, I have one question on behalf of my mother, who's also become a Zoom user, you know, for free, by the way, the free service available for a 40 minute meeting. However, when you set the time, if you've ever looked, you can, you can either set it to 30 minutes or 45 minutes. You really can't grab the 40 minutes. So the Sorkin family wants to know if you can set it so you can, you can change that in the next couple of days to if 40 minutes. Change, a lot of families who, who've been, okay. well, will, if, if you're going to give your 40 minutes, the, 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 the dial should have a 40 minute on it as opposed to 30 minutes or 45. Cause once you hit 45, you got to pay. Okay. Thank you. I will relay your mom's feedback to our product team. Uh, Kelly, we appreciate uh, your time and everything you're doing uh, for so many who are using the service right now. Appreciate it. Thank you. It's great to be here. Thanks. Next on Squawk Pod, Bobby Kotick, the CEO of video game company Activision Blizzard, describes leading employees through the coronavirus crisis. I read in the notes that all of your employees have your cell phone, but they can call you if they need to. You've got 10,000 employees. Is that really true? We encourage every single employee that has a concern that relates to their health care to just contact me directly. People are feeling the isolation and uh, frustration and anxiety. We're back after this. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS 
Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. You're listening to Squawk Pod with Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Here's Becky. As the COVID crisis forces people to entertain themselves at home, video games have been a big winner. They've been a clear beneficiary of all of this. But the question is, will that translate into market gains for the biggest companies? Joining us right now is Bobby Kotick. He is the CEO of Activision Blizzard. That's the company behind popular franchises like Call of Duty and Candy Crush. And Bobby, first of all, it's good to see you. How are you doing? Likewise, Becky, good to see you, too. Thanks for including me. How's everything going? What are you hearing from your employees? What are you guys doing right now? Well, that's my principal focus right now is the health and well-being of our employees and their families. And I think uh, you know, that should be the primary focus of most CEOs. We've been very fortunate. We have a small number of people across the world who have developed uh, any real symptoms for the virus. But we do have the parents of a lot of our employees affected. Um, and we're working really hard on um, a number of different initiatives that are new for a company like ours to be involved with. But we're supporting, for example, a clinical trial at UCLA on a new Japanese drug called Avigan, which, if it's effective, will be a low-cost, widely available antiviral that you can start at early onset of symptoms. We're supporting uh, a number of initiatives that are focused on uh, convalescent blood transfusions, which is another very promising area for care, both for um, critically ill uh, patients as well as for healthcare workers. And then we're supporting a lot of local hospitals and healthcare facilities across the world where either our employees or our operations are. Bobby, I know you've taken a number of steps for your employees to try and make this time easier for them too. Things like uh, waiving the 30-day prescription refill uh, that, that normally you can't get a prescription filled for more than 30 days without having to pay an excessive amount. Yeah, we're certainly doing things like that, but we've also got some really innovative programs like telemedicine providers for our employees in countries where there are national health care um, programs. We also have uh, private doctors available helping to assist and navigate through what can be a very complex uh, process getting into national health care. We're working with organizations like um, Wealthy uh, that provides mental health care or Sitter City to provide licensed child care. And um, I think when you look at the available tools today to allow people to work from home safely and comfortably to make sure that they're getting access to good health care, um, there are a lot more programs available today than ever before. I think we've always been a pioneer in these kinds of benefits, but some of the things that we're doing now like supporting these clinical trials uh, at important health institutions. Um, I think these are things that are unprecedented for us as a company or any company, 
But um, we're, we're definitely feeling from our employees that the extra investment, the extra attention is appreciated. I, I read in the notes that all of your employees have your cell phone, that they can call you if they need to. You've got 10,000 employees. Is that really true? So about a month ago, I, I, we sent out an email um, from my email address with my phone number, and we encouraged every single employee that has a concern that relates to their health care to just contact me directly. And so far, that's been working well. They've gotten uh, a lot of attention, a lot of good care from all of our providers, and our our HR organization is extraordinary, and the team has been working 24-7 since we started work from home in our offices in China and offices in Europe um, to really make sure that they were available for the benefit of the employees and their families. How many employees have, have personally reached out to you? Oh, I'd say a few hundred now, um, and but we're fortunate. Very few have actually tested positive so far for COVID-19. One of the initiatives we're working on right now is um, a trial for a blood serum test, which is a low cost, very accessible, 15 minutes for the results blood serum test that has FDA approval. It still is required to be um, administered by a healthcare professional. But I think when you look out over the next few months, when you start to think about what will make employees feel safe and comfortable coming back to work, testing is going to be a very important part of what we're going to need to be able to do. Uh, agree. How, how quickly do you think things like that can get rolled out to the general public? And just based on how much research you've been doing in the medical field, how long do you think it will be before we're actually ready to go back to work? Well, every country is different, of course. I think in every government is going to treat uh, the rules with respect to their own countries differently. Um, we're taking guidance from the state, city, local and federal governments everywhere we operate but then we're adding an extra layer of, of protection and concern. And so right now, um, most of the world will continue to be work from home for the foreseeable future. I think we're fortunate. You know, we have a very uh, collaborative business when it comes to software development. And so we have people in lots of different countries and lots of different offices who for a long time have been collaborating with each other on software development. So I don't think that we've had the same challenges from a work from home uh, perspective as other companies. But, um, you know, look, people are feeling the isolation and uh, frustration and anxiety. And so, you know, I don't, I don't even think that there's a real normal that um, is gonna exist for a while. Our view is that you need to see a low cost, widely available vaccine. You need more antiviral therapies that are proven that are low cost and widely available. You're going to need more efficient, low-cost blood serum testing. And so until all of these things are in place, uh, I think people are going to still have this anxiety and uncertainty. And, um, and, and, but we're working on a lot of these initiatives. Hey, Bobby, it's Andrew here. Um, in the world of Hollywood, as you know, uh, production has effectively halted and uh, production may or may not uh, resume uh, sometime this summer or even this fall. I know there's conversations in Hollywood about testing actors and uh, people on a set. Um, obviously, your business is very different because people can be behind a computer, but they, I imagine they don't have all that power necessarily at home. How does that get distributed and how does that affect production Well, in, um, in your I world? Don't, I, I don't know that we quite know yet. You know, most of the things that we have uh, in production and development are on track for now. I think we'll have to really reassess that in a month and in three months. But 
Um, yeah, we've been doing things like encouraging our employees to upgrade their home broadband to the highest bandwidth service, and we're paying for that. Um, we we uh, had equipment available for take home, so all, everyone in the software development, art, or animation functions, we made qu equipment available so they had the newest, uh, most secure devices. Um, but I think it's still too early to know um, what what the consequences of development will be over the next for the next year or so. Yeah, you know, we're very fortunate. We launched a new free to play Call of Duty a few weeks ago, and we've had over 50 million people sign up to play. Um, you know, Candy Crush is performing exceptionally well. M most of our games are seeing uh, record levels of engagement, and people are getting the benefit of entertainment at home from what we do. Hey, Bobby, I, I know that people have been playing video games a lot more. How, how does that translate into profit for the company? Is, is there a way to monetize it all? Well, look, in, no one wins in a situation like this. Um, but, you know, in, in periods like this where people are at home, they're definitely getting the joy and the sense of camaraderie. And many of our games are very social. So while people might feel isolated at home, it is a way to connect with your friends. It's a way to connect with your family and do it through the lens of entertainment. So it's all, you know, it's much more fun. It's, uh, you know, a much more um, social experience than video games were 10 years ago. And I think people are really appreciating the benefit of that. You think that that uh, changes some people's maybe longer term patterns, even once this is over, maybe they get hooked on some of these new things? Well, I definitely think that uh, based on the numbers that we're seeing, uh, people are coming back who haven't played games for a while. A lot of new players are coming for the first time. So, um, you know, we I think the last number we reported was something like 425 million uh, users in our network. That number will probably be higher as we approach the end of the year. So if you think about that as a scale of a uh, user base, um, and we have more players than Twitch, than Twitter, than Netflix subscribers. You know, I'd say the only three networks that have more players or users would be Facebook, YouTube, um, and WeChat. So it's a big audience to begin with. Bobby, I want to thank you very much for your time this morning, and we'd love to get updates on how things are going with all of these unique programs that you're funding at this point, too. We're happy to share those, and it's great to hear your voice. Great to hear your voice, too, Andrew. Thanks, Bobby. Take care. And that's the show for today. Thank you for listening to this podcast. On TV, Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 a.m. Eastern and subscribe to Squawk Pod, available for free wherever you listen. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.